is After Dark Podcast is sponsored by HHNUnofficial.com, the home of Halloween Horror Nights news and rumors all year round. Find us on the web at www.HHNUnofficial.com. So stop the fog machines and clear the cobwebs. It's time for another episode of the podcast that's nearly the same as all the others. Warning, this show contains childish adult content and is intended for immature, mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views spoken are hours and hours alone, not those of any other bugger. If you're easily offended, we strongly suggest finding another podcast. Everybody neat and pretty, then on with the show. Hello and welcome to this latest edition of uh, After Dark. Um, I'm quite obviously not your host, Nick. Um, Nick can't be with us tonight. Um, as can't most of the team, actually. It's just me and Craig. Good evening, everyone. I'm actually just opening a can of Belgium's finest, Stella Artois. It's a special occasion tonight. Uh, I'm not actually drinking because I ran 8k this morning, um, so kind of just trying to top up my, my fluids today rather than uh, adding alcohol. But it's not just me and Craig, um, we also have a very special guest, I think we can say. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, okay, um, I, I'm i Jim Hill and I forgot that we could drink adult beverages during this show, I'm... I'm sitting here with mango iced tea like a wimp. That would work with vodka, that Jim. Oh, well, there you go. So, so I think the plan tonight for this episode, it's gonna, as I said, it's a bit of a of a special one. We're gonna kind of look at what's coming to the Disney parks in the in the next year, or even a bit more in the future. I think as well, we would say, wouldn't we, Craig? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we know the the bullet points of what's coming in 2017. But I was interested to bring Jim on to talk about what the bullet points actually mean, what's below the bullet points, what are the rides going to be like in Pandora, what are all the little things, uh, the upsells that are going on at Disney, are they going to continue to roll out? And maybe what, what the Disney parks will look like in five years' time. Okay, well, hang on. I, I'm, I'm reaching for the crystal ball in, in my, you know, can I borrow Doctor Strange's cape? You know, just, it's, we were just talking about Doctor Strange. It's, it's, we, we both really like that film, so. Yeah, yeah so as Craig mentioned, I think I think the major elephant in the room, um, bit of a pun, bit of a bad Nick pun there, um, but Animal Kingdom, I think, is the, the big thing that everybody's looking towards, obviously. Avatar, the the world of Pandora, or 
Pandora, the world of Avatar, even got it the wrong way around there, uh, and Rivers of Light, which obviously we've been waiting for 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 quite a while. So, uh, Jim, what can you tell us about those? Well, um, you know, the, let's just cut to the chase. I mean, you know, that the, there's a a real level of frustration at uh, the management level at the Walt Disney World Resort that that Rivers of Light is has still not made it out of the gate. And it, it's honestly not for the reasons you might think. Um, I, you know, just look, they built the infrastructure, you know, the, the, the 500-seat stadium, and, and that's going to serve that park for decades coming. You know, and in fact, what's kind of funny is that, you know, to hear the people at the resort talk, it's just sort of like, why the hell didn't we just wait and do a Moana show? You know, I mean, it's just sort of like, you know, they're on boats, you know, and it's water and it, you know, and it's, it, it would have worked perfectly, but you know, I, they, they, they have to wait, I guess, for rivers of light to recover its investment, which is now going to take a couple of years because obviously they had to do a lot of work once it, it couldn't make its April, 2016 debut date. Um, but yeah, the real reason that, that people at that park are frustrated that that nighttime show has yet to open. In fact, what's interesting now is I'm hearing that, that, that they're looking to try to have it actually open come March. Um, at, you know, but th- th- there's a reason for that. They, they want to have practice at that park with keeping, you know, 5,000 plus people in line waiting for the second show. So that they can then use that experience to handle the crowds that will come back to Pandora at night to check out the bioluminescence. Because that, that's really the fear right now is that this land of the park will reach capacity and they're going to have to hold guests out at night because everyone's going to want to come back and see the amazing bioluminescent forest. And so that was always kind of the long-term plan. That's why Rivers of Light was supposed to open in 2016 and give them an entire summer of learning how to do crowd control at that park, you know, holding large groups of people and then then shuttling them in and out of the area, and then to directly pivot and use that experience come the spring-summer of 2017 when, uh, you know, Pandora, the world of Avatar, opens. And, And now... At best, they're going to have maybe a three-month window to get this right. Because right now, from from what I've been told, we really shouldn't expect to see Avatar open till July. In fact, late July. So, you know, in fact, I want to caution everybody who there was this story or this rumor that made the rounds about a week, 10 days ago about uh, there was a special pass that was being offered to Florida residents, and there was, but there was this blackout period in the middle of, of when they were offering it. Everyone's go, aha, that's when, um, you know, Pandora's going to open, and let me book my vacation around that. And it's like, it's like, guys, it's just just learn the lesson of Rivers of Light. Don't you know that that that's that's not what that blackout period is about more to the point who really don't want to try to be the first people through the door at this place because i mean god help you imagine what it would feel like to you know for example for you guys to fly all the way over from the uk on a hunch and to just stand outside the fence there at tiffin's and it's like sorry guys not open go drink you know go drink your sorrows at the bar there so 
this um, this land, Jim, in uh, scale wise, how big is it compared to Harry Potter or the um, new Fantasyland expansion? Well, it, it's actually if you if you go from uh, actually New Fantasyland, that that's a very that that that's a good parallel. If you go from say the faux castle gates, and you know take in all of the land that 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 goes all the way back, and then over to say where Mag, uh, the Mad Teacups or the Mad Tea Party Teacups are, that's pretty much the size. Um, of course, but the deal of this is that for so much of it, you are just walking through a jungle. In fact, you can remember that that's, you're going to have the very same language that you have uh, for the rest of Animal Kingdom. This is a park of discovery, so you've got to walk along this path. Now, what's kind of cool about these two paths that lead in and out of uh, Pandora, the one, again, that, that comes in via the Tiffins, and the other one that will go in uh, next to Legend of the Lion King, I, you know, from, from that side. Um, you're going to travel past standard Disney theme park, Central Florida uh, type growth, which gradually gives way to lots of stuff that you've seen from the James Cameron film. You know, the different plant life, different, you know, uh, and more to the point, if you, you there's going to be a, a full audio program where you're going to be hearing off in the distance, you know, large creatures moving through the brush or, or cries or that sort of thing. But it's as you make your way through the forest, you eventually arrive at the floating mountains. And this is where it gets kind of cool. I mean, these things are 146 feet tall there. You can, and you it's not a question of you stand in one spot and look at them. You can actually walk under them, around them. Um, I, I'm. I keep getting mixed signals about whether or not they're actually going to move and drift. I guess that was originally the plan. And now it's one of these things where I, I, you know, it's always fun when you get the Disney attorneys involved and it's just sort of like, you know, that, that may be a safety issue and maybe we should just keep them static and in place. But these things were originally designed to have, a little bit of sway and movement to them, you know, that, that uh, a lot of those vines that you're looking at are actually pieces of structural te- steel that are supposed to allow them to pivot and, you know, it, you know, give the illusion of these things shifting in the wind. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you will be, when you're down inside of Pandora and literally these mountains are floating up over your head and you're surrounded by the, the jungle and, and the wreckage from the, the Marine base, this is going to be, a pretty impressive environment. Do you think, um, are they going to have a drink? Are they, you know, Harry Potter style? Is it, go, are they going to have a butter beer? Um, are they going to have food in there? Have there been any restaurants announced yeah. inside? Well, the old staff, the Marine based cafeteria is supposedly now going to be run by, the native people. Uh, and, and, and in fact, actually at the D 23 expo last year, I was talking with, uh, Joe Rody and the folks there and they, they are crafting, you know, the idea is that, that you're going to be in a situation where it tastes just like chicken, you know, (laughs) because it is chicken, but it's chicken that they've died and manipulated. And same thing with vegetables. You're going to have, 
this platter of odd looking food that you've actually had before. But, you know, thanks to the way it's prepared, the way it's cut, the, you know, various spices or, or, or you know, completely safe food dyes that they use, um, you're going to get, you know, supposedly an authentic, uh, you know, uh, avid, you know, Pandora dining experience. Um, I, I don't think there's anything quite on the line of... Um, Butterbeer, but speaking of which, though, I did hear that they finally locked the flavor uh, for the blue milk uh, for Star Wars experience, uh, and that's that's definitely um, going to be something that's offered in the various cantinas and restaurants at it, at both of the Star Wars experiences when they open in uh, 2019, maybe 2020. So. Uh, we had one last question from one of our other hosts that can can bear today, Mr. Dolan. Um, his question about um, Avatar was: Has Disney had any influence over the the following scripts that are coming for these these future films? Has it has what they've done in the parks actually had any influence over over um, Cameron's scripts? Uh, you know, it, it, that's kind of funny. Someone trying to influence James Cameron. Um. Look, I will tell you flat out, um, look, you know, if there's a lot of Imagineers who frankly, um, you know, you got to remember this, this project was announced, what, five years ago? And it turned out to be this slow motion collaboration because James Cameron's a very busy guy, you know, that that's, he's constantly climbing into submersibles and going down into the Mariana Trench. And, and more to the point, he was... When things weren't going his way, you know, he he would, you know, he would sort of freeze them out. He'd give them the silent treatment. And um, they, you know, just getting him to sign off on the land was hard enough, you know, let alone, you know, hey, let's offer some notes in the movies. I mean, yeah, there is a certain level of concern at Disney that, you know, there were all these, you know, what, it's three follow-up films to avatar and then supposedly a prequel coming and you know the concern is well what if you know something really horrible pops up in the films what if something controversial what if you know you know they're especially dark or or violent you know is that going to impact things and it's like it's out of their control there's nothing they can do you know that that james is going to make the movies that he wants to make that are set in the avatar universe and and the Disney theme park, you know, that Disney's Animal Kingdom will have this one land that, you know, again, the, the, the mantra Disney keeps telling themselves is it's the highest grossing film in Hollywood history. You know, we're very smart to have this, uh, you know, that, that and particularly when the new prequels and sequels will come out, you know, this will this will definitely be a smart investment. Uh, but if you, you talk with the Imagineers, they flat out admit, look, if we had known six months later after we made this deal that George Lucas was going to sell, you know, Lucasfilm to Disney and that we could then do Star Wars lands, you know, we would have never made this deal. Um, you know, but, you know, nobody knew that was in the wings and, and they were really looking for a way to turbocharge uh, Animal Kingdom, which was, you know, the, the fourth by a long distance 
of the, the you know the parks in Orlando and and in and one of the things you know again that 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 it's not a coincidence that you know they built Rivers of Light and um you know the, the Avatar with its bioluminescent nighttime lighting package they want to have this park actually extend its operating hours a good 5 or 6 hours a day um, so it can then do at least Disney Studios business. I mean, you know, the, the, when they were initially spending, they were like, you know, it could be as popular as the Magic Kingdom. And it's like, no, you're high. That's never going to happen. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, of course, the irony is now, you know, you have your billion dollar Zootopia film and it's just sort of like, oh. You know why? You know why? Again, just thinking about the amount of money that's been spent on Pandora and what they could have done related to Zootopia with the exact same amount of money. In fact, to be honest, Zootopia is still coming to that park. That that we should expect. Uh, in fact, maybe in time for the 50th anniversary. But that's probably a little ambitious. But uh, Rafiki's Planet Watch. That whole area just goes away, and but the train system stays in place, um, so that people can, you know, in in and again, in fact, it's you know, Disney once again being influenced by Harry Potter. It, it in a Hogwarts Express-like experience, you'll board the train, you'll ride to Zootopia, looking out the windows, and then you'll get out in a land you know uh, where Rafiki's Planet Watch was built uh, that gives you that Zootopia experience so um, but again that's a couple of years down the line it's almost like the animals are getting phased out of Animal Kingdom well and let's be honest animals are a pain in the ass alright yeah. you know they poop they bite people and, and in fact you know it's so funny recording this today because I don't know if you heard um, but just last night, Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey here in the States announced that they are closing both of their, you know, they're shutting down their two touring circuses in May of this year, because after they took the elephants out of the show last year, attendance plummeted, you know, people just didn't want to buy tickets to, um, you know, to a, a traveling circus that didn't have elephants and, you know, but at the same time, uh, you know that that Barnum and Bailey have been fighting this this more than a decade long battle with animal rights folks about uh, the animals they had on display, and this was, you know, kind of like what SeaWorld just did. I mean, they just just in the past week or so they shut down in San Diego their killer whale show, and it is going to be fascinating to see if a SeaWorld can reinvent itself and still draw crowds without killer whales because face it that's their logo that's their brand so so i think think on that that note i think avatar we've we've talked about that quite a bit going on Mm -hmm. to something else that you've already mentioned jim star wars land it can't be ignored Mm -hmm. there's huge building sites in both parks at the moment um you've already mentioned a possible opening date are they both going to open at the same time or is oh, there going to be no, a... No. We didn't think they would be. <laughs> no, no, no. California is going to try to be the first to open. In fact, it, it's kind of interesting. You may have heard in uh, 
just in the, the past week, there's a, this thing that's being tested called MaxPass. Um, they've announced that, you know, you will be able for a simple $10 fee to uh, book in advance. Uh, you know, and it's intriguing that they what they did in both parks is they picked a ride that had been in the past uh, hadn't been on the fast pass system you have um what is it toy story midway mania uh which has two tracks and you have the matterhorn uh bobsleds in you know disneyland park which has two tracks and it really isn't a coincidence that this is being done as a test uh for california because the genuine fear is that when they open star wars experience or whatever the new name of the land is um, the crowds are going to be so huge that, you know, that they're going to have to create some way of people absolutely guaranteeing, you know, for example, the, their opportunity to, to fly the Millennium Falcon or have the escape from the, the stormtroopers experience. And, you know, it, and, and in both cases, it's a notion of, okay, there's a standby version. And there'll also be a max pass version, which you can buy in advance. And, I don't know. I I'm really not a fan of these these upcharge things. I think they they, I mean I get it. It's it's, you know, if you talk with people in the company, it's like, look, Star Wars experience is close to a billion dollars on on at, for both resorts. I mean, it's that's how hyper detailed, you know. And you know, again, you're going to have buildings that are seven stories tall towering over you. That that. Um, you know, you're going to be totally enveloped in, in this world though, again, just this past week, uh, Disney had to break the news that, you know, they're going to be pulling the balloon off of the Muppet Vision 3D movie because they were doing some height tests and realized from inside of the supposedly, you know, all encompassing Star Wars universe, you could still see the balloon on top of that building. So down it comes. So, um, but yeah, uh, California will open first and, uh, and then on the heels of that, F Florida will open. But of course, before Florida's, uh, Star Wars lands opens, we then get uh, toy story land. Yeah. I, that was something I'd completely forgotten about was toy story land. So, so where's that in the plans? Cause that always seemed to be coming first, as you've just said, but there's not really been much said about it, obviously, cause Star Wars has kind of overshadowed it. Well, I mean, it, it, it's kind of a, you know, forgive me for, this is probably not the best way to describe it, but, but it's an add on. I mean, basically think about it. You've got, we were just talking about Toy Story, um, Midway Mania, the, the Disney's California Adventure, that you have the Toy Story Mania, um, that the studios in, in Florida has that just recently added the third track. But the way this is going to work is instead of walking up the, uh, you know, that, that, that narrow road there into Pixar Place and walking through what used to be the old front door of Midway Mania, there's a brand new entrance that's going to be crafted around to the back of the building that will get you into the queue of, of all three tracks. And that'll actually be facing into uh, Toy Story Land. And then... You know, have your your slinky dog racer and your little green army men spinner and uh, what is it? An El Toys barn and a uh, a food experience. Um, it's compared to um, 
what they're doing for this the Star Wars experience, it's going to be a little bare bones, but it, at the same time, it's going to have very large kid appeal. And what people also need to understand is that from the moment that Star Wars experience opens, uh, that whole area that used to be this, the studio's uh, magic of Disney animation, uh, you know, walkthrough experience where, where uh, Launch Bay is right now, um, that goes down and it kind of depends on, you know, which property, um, you know, IP that, that the company's excited about. I mean, I've heard several different iterations of the plan. Uh, the, the one that they keep seem to keep circling back on is uh, a Monsters, Inc. Uh, area. And, and then you have two very popular um, Star Wars, or excuse me, uh, Pixar properties side by side. You have the Toy Story Land, and then you have Monstropolis. And, um, you know, just, it's going to be interesting. You know, that will then give this, this, this park that much more of a strong kid appeal. And then, of course, you know, when, when Star Wars experience comes online, you, you have, you know, this, this again, this giant sized land with uh, with restaurants and shops and, and, you know, two strong attractions and a, a large piece of property held back for a third a yet to be determined ride. Um, you know, they're actually kind of hoping in much the in 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 the tradition of Rogue One that one of these Star Wars stories uh, might lend itself to, you know, sort of a timeless attraction. Uh, but I think that's the other thing people need to understand about, um, you know, the, the whole conceit behind uh, the Star Wars experience, that this is, you know, I mean, this whole theming of the land where it's supposed to be, you know, a, a port city out on, on the rim of the galaxy it's it's deliberately designed to be a loose construct. They want when you go into this space, they want you if you're you know you're someone my age, you know, you're fifty seven year old. I mean, I saw, I look, I, I saw Star Wars, the first one, New Hope. I had just graduated from high school, like the day before, and you know went to go see it. So that that as old farts, you know that that you know the the. the 40 years, you know, want to see the original characters, this land is loose enough that you could see some of those. But at the same time, if you are, say, a kid today who loves Star Wars Rebels, you know, the, the animated series that runs on the uh, Disney XD, they want you to be, this area to be loose enough time-wise that those characters could appear. And, you know, if, you know, the young Han Solo or the Boba Fett film that they're making, they want to be able that you could meet those characters well. But, but in addition to that, I mean, there's these whole, these, these shops and restaurants where some of the ideas that Disney's trying to do here are just crazy. Like, I mean, have you heard the whole concept of, you know, each shop is supposed to be run by a family of aliens that actually lives overhead over the store. I mean, you know, the supposedly their apartments are upstairs. And so every shop will have, you know, a, a, you know, the people who work in the shop will have a makeup treatment and they'll have to wear clothes that, you know, sort of makes them look like they're all the members of the same family. Um, I mean, you know, again, it's, it's so funny. You look at this and, and just look at it straightforward. And it's Disney definitely responding to Potter. 
Um, and, and what's it's so funny is that Universal's, you know, I mean, Universal's not even sweating this. They are just charging so far ahead now. There's their their new big play is, of course, the uh, the the Nintendo Land, and and in and, and from what I'm hearing, and a Nintendo park and yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting in Orlando and uh, to a lesser extent out in Southern California, uh, you know, uh, over the next decade. I think with the star Wars, star Wars was always a boy's brand. It was Mm -hmm. for the boys. My, my grace is eight tomorrow Mm -hmm. and she is absolutely balmy for star Wars. After the new hope last year with Ray. Oh, sure. She's a hero. She's having a Star Wars birthday tomorrow. We've just had a celebration today with the family. It was all Star Wars decorations. Mm-hmm. She's got a Death Star um, light going up in her bedroom tomorrow when she opens it for a present. She's absolutely balmy. I think Star Wars is going to smash Harry Potter out of the water. I don't think Disney realise or appreciate how big this is going to be. Well, you know... the. the- don't get me wrong. I have to tell you, you've just made somebody in Disney's consumer products day. I mean, you know, somebody's opening a bottle right now and toasting you because that's exactly what they wanted to hear. In fact, it's, you know, when you think about Ray or you think about Jin in, in Rogue One, you know, I mean, you, you know, the fact that they've been able to do this, to take a boy's brand and expand it to a boy and a girl brand. Um, but you know, don't underestimate Potter. I mean, between, you know, face it, we've, we're, we're still, you know, there's supposedly four more fantastic beast films coming and Universal's already snagged the, the theme park rights to, to that film franchise. So don't be surprised if the, the New York area of at least Universal Studios, uh, or land or should be Florida, uh, suddenly, you know, you, you see Newt Scaramander and, and company, you know, show up in some way. But you know, the, the deal that was announced last year that took, in fact, again, that took the the Disney had the rights to air all of the Harry Potter films on what used to be the ABC Family Channel here in the states. It's now known as Freeform. Um, but they they lost the rights coming in 2018, and they're they're now shifted to NBC Universal's uh, Sci-Fi uh, cable channel. And suppose if you drill down into uh, you know the the agreement, they not only got Fantastic Beasts, but they also got the film rights to the trilogy that's going to be based on the stage play uh, that that that's playing in in London right now, uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, and. And in fact, what is it? Uh, within the past month, they've they've actually uh, nailed the rights to a, a theater in New York that will you know do the same thing. You know, they have to play this 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 two part play till you know that you know till till they run out of people who you know are, are tired of waiting to get tickets for Hamilton. So. Um, yeah, I mean Potter's an ongoing concern, and and. You know, uh, and and I, I think it's just it's going to be interesting. You know, if you talk with the people at Universal Creative, they are definitely looking for ways to continue to expand both in uh, in Florida and Hollywood and and Japan. In fact, Potter over there 
you know, I, I don't know if you've heard that for some odd reason they can do stuff over in Japan in their Wizarding World that they can't do at either the States places. I mean, if, if you heard about the Death Eater thing they did for Halloween? Yeah, I've, we've heard, haven't we? And yeah. What? Why? What's... I, you know, just, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I, you know, I've, I've made inquiries. And in fact, what's interesting when you talk with the, um, the folks stateside, I mean, they'll tell you about how, uh, you know, JK initially was, was very dead set about, you know, well, look, when you do the Halloween Horror Nights, people can't go into a Diagon Alley because it's, you know, you know, we're not, you know, yes, there are Death Eaters, but, you know, this isn't supposed to be a, a genuinely frightening place. And so to have them making the appearance in Japan, you know, I, I just wonder, is this in fact a trial run for, you know, just to to see whether or not they can bring it stateside? Um, I guess we'll have to see come, come Halloween, but, but I, I go, you know, actually it's Halloween Horror Nights at Universal starts what late August, early September. So yeah, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait, you know, seven or eight months yet. Um, do you think, have, have you been to a Halloween Horror Nights recently, Jim? Yes. Yes, I have. I you know, that that's the, the folks at Universal are nice enough to, to invite me down every year and it's just uh, you know i mean i think i've talked about this before the thing about when you do it like on a press night is they march you at high speed from house to house to house to house and so you don't get the experience of where you're standing outside for an hour and you're sort of building up the anticipation and you know and in fact what's what's kind of terrible about it is because you go from house to house to house by the second or third house of the night, you're kind of familiar with the visual language. So you're like, okay, I'm walking into a dark room. There's a big thing in front of me, which means that the teenager who's going to jump out and try to scare me is to my left. And you know, sure enough, that's that's how it is. You know, I get you know. Um, but yeah, they're they're they do some amazing things. That, that this past year there was some stagecraft and some some mazes that were just, you know, some of the best stuff they've ever done. Um, but at the same time, I mean, it just, it's, it's kind of a night where it's like, you know, like, especially, you know, I, I remember doing the, um, what is it? The American horror story maze. And it was like, they, the, the, I forget the name of the clown from the, um, you know, that the, the series three or series four and twisty. They, they did this twisty. Oh my God. They did this thing where you're, you're leaving the maze and you think you're done. And it's like, Oh, there's twisty. Okay, good. That's, you know, but there were two more versions of that, that clown before you got out of the maze. And it was like, you know, the, the, the first one lulled you into a false sense of security. And then it was like, Oh, another one. And then it's like, okay, I'm absolutely. T- oh, another clown. You know? So it's like, you know, I'm just glad I was wearing my complimentary Halloween Horror Night adult diaper. So, <laughs> well, do you think what would uh, the Death Eaters do to the footfall? In would it detract <sighs> from Halloween Horror Nights, or would it add to it? I... Do you think it maybe it was Halloween Horror Nights who have put the blocks on the mm-hmm. Death Eaters? 
You know, I, I think a secondary issue might be the fact of guest flow. I mean, you know, the, think about it. If you look at the footage for Japan, they just appear and they move through the crowd. I mean, there's this sort of this huge bank of fog and the music and they move through the crowd in a dramatic fashion, you know, sort of jinxing people and slamming curses left and right. And then they're gone. Um, but when you think about, you know, there are nights on Halloween Horror Nights when there were 10, 15, 20,000 people crammed into that park. And how would you cue people up to do that? Um, I don't know. I, 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 you know, that's, that's the other thing about, you know, so many of these events or, or, you know, circling back on Star Wars experience. Um, you know, it's like, we all want to go to the cantina and hang out with the, you know, the aliens there and have a drink. But it's like, you can't build a cantina that's big enough for everybody to have that sort of intimate experience. In fact, that's um, one of the things the Imagineers were dealing with when they, they were building or designing the Star Wars experience. Um, they realized that what they needed to create was instead of a bar that could comfortably sit you know, 50 or 60, uh, and give them that, you know, experience from new hope that what they needed to create was something that looked like it, you know, and in fact that that was more reminiscent of what we saw in the force awakens. Um, and, but some place that seats three to 500. Huh. That's and, not the same experience, is it? No, but it, but the thinking is that if you create four and five rooms that are hyper detailed, uh, and, and again, if you commit to the concept that you need no less than you know five and six characters from the films walking around at any one time in any one of these spaces, um, I mean that's that's the other thing when I you know you talk with folks at Disney about. Uh, you know, the recent upcharges, the experiments with like the cabanas or the, you know, paying the extra fee to take a bus from inside the park that'll take you directly to one of the other parks. And they're like, do you understand how truly expensive, you know, Star Wars experience is to build and what it's cost to maintain that? I mean, it's just we need to have these streams up and running because that sort of guest experience is going to be hugely expensive on a day-to-day basis. Hello, dear listener. It's Nick of the After Dark Podcast Network. We hope you're enjoying this podcast, and we'll get back to it very, very soon. Um, I just want to take a few minutes to let you know that we have a website at the moment. That's at www.patreon.com forward slash disafterdark. Now, what that is, is uh, a website where you are able to support this podcast, Universal After Dark and Pop After Dark. Um, I've been hosting Dis After Dark now for coming up to five years and uh, pretty much enjoyed every minute. But unfortunately, as well as giving up our time to record these podcasts, um, they're not free to host. Um, and, you know, it, all of this stuff does cost money. If you are willing or able to, uh, make a donation to help support our podcast. It'd be very much appreciated. If you visit patreon.com forward slash disafterdark, um, and we've got a few tiers there of uh, of 
things that you can donate to and there are some rewards uh, available depending on the level of donation. Um, anything you are able to donate will really be appreciated. Um, this isn't a way for us to get rich and give up our, our day jobs because that's not going to happen. Um, this is purely about making sure that we can continue to make these podcasts going forward. So thank you for your time. I um, hope you've enjoyed this podcast and all our others. And if you can support us, it'll be great. Once again, that website is patreon.com forward slash disasterdark. Thank you. Well, I mean, talking about these upcharges, mm-hmm. they just seem to be throwing them out there at the moment and seeing what sticks. I believe, have, no. the cabana, have the cabanas been withdrawn now? or? Well, that depends on who you talk to. Um, yes, that, that they are supposedly discontinuing them in their current form uh, come February. However... Um, you have to understand that part of this was just a test that, you know, and, and in fact, there is a redo of Walt Disney World's uh, at the Magic Kingdom of Tomorrowland in the works. I mean, you know, we've all heard about the Wreck-It Ralph ride that's, you know, making its way through the system and will replace uh, Stitch's Great Escape. But there's another, you know, that whole side of the park is going to get you know, kind of a reconfiguration. And one of the things that they were supposedly talking about was building permanent cabanas that are, that are out of the public view. Um, but that, you know, in fact, one plan and it's just kind of startling was, would, would be to put them up on one of the rooftops in Tomorrowland because then Guests, you know, the people who rented them would have this amazing view of the castle and the projection show, but also the fireworks. Um, uh, the downside is, I guess, when they were talking about the original site, it was like, well, this is where Tinkerbell lands, you know, uh, and, you know, that that kind of spoils the magic for the folks in the cabanas and especially the concern of them getting photographs of, you know, them. them you know, because that's the thing. Tinkerbell comes sliding down that thing, and they they hold up a mattress for her to smash into to slow her down. And you know, I I don't know for your cabana fee, that's really what you'd want. But um, but yeah, I'll, I mean, this I'll is be the honest, modern Jim, company. Yeah, I'll I if I was a local resident mm-hmm. and an annual pass holder. And my daughter, who's eight, or Eve, who's 13, wanted a party, mm. I would pay out for a cabana. I don't have a problem with it. Everybody seems to be enraged and angry and offended nowadays whenever Disney try and do anything different. What What do you think? Do you think? Well... I mean, Len and I have actually talked about this. In fact, Len has a slide from a presentation that was done for travel agents last year where basically Disney talked about their new battle plan for the resorts where they pursue the rich and the richer. Uh, you know, that, that it's all about going after, you know, the upper tier of customer and, and again, creating all of these these add-ons that would appeal to, you know, the customer that really wants the truly special, you know, Disney World vacation experience. Now, you know, look, you know, that 
you know, it, 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 if people are willing to spend the money for these sorts of things, um, you know, and, and again, it's, if it's something to please a family member or that sort of thing, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. My problem is, is a guy who's been writing about Disney for 30 plus years at this point. You know, I've talked with a lot of Imagineers who, you know, for example, talk about how Walt fought, you know, um, back when you used to pay to get on, on Disney rides, you know, when they had the ticket books, he, you know, it was like, and they, you know, he, he fought them. It was like, look, the carousel is always only going to be 10 cents because people, I want at least one ride that people who don't have a whole lot of money can ride. And, and, and Walt was always one of these guys who, you know, don't make this about money. We make a lot of money, you know, and, and, you know, there's kind of a famous story about the very first full color Disneyland guidebook, you know, uh, that was made for the parks. And, you know, it, this this beautiful thing, you know, the pictures of every land and it, it includes in the last page or so all of the rides and shows that were going to be coming in the next year. And uh, at one point, Walt, you know, the financial people sat down with Walt and it's like, you know, he's like, oh, I have to ask about the guidebook. How's it doing? Oh, it's doing great, but we're losing money. And he's it's like, what? And it's like, well, you're charging 25 cents and it costs us 27 cents to print it. And Walt was like, well, uh, don't worry about that. You know, that that's, you know, that's going to, you know, that's so good looking. That's going to sit on people's coffee tables at home and they're going to show it to their friends and their friends are going to be the ones who go, Ooh, I want to go to Disneyland. So we'll make money in the end. But, you know, he was never, you know, a, a guy who was looking to make money. He figured we'd make enough money. And, you know, for the longest time, people like Dick Nunes, uh, who trained directly under Walt and then went on to run Walt Disney World. I mean, it was Dick Nunes who actually for years vetoed Disney building additional hotels on property. He, you, you know, and he flat out said that, look, we have the contemporary, we have the golf resort, we have the poly, you know, and, and we have the campgrounds and, you know, and we've got the, the other four hotels over at hotel Plaza, you know, we, we don't have to chase every nickel that runs off the table. More to the point, there's just people who have hotels and motels right off property. We want to be a good neighbor. And, you know, as soon as Michael Eisner came through the door, it was like, screw being a good neighbor, you know, and yes, change chase every nickel. And yeah, we're now kind of in that squared, um, you know, just anything now is on the table in regard to, you know, can it make, can we get another revenue stream going? Cause like I said, you know, it's, it's not inexpensive to build a, a port city out on the, at the rim of the galaxy. Do you think potentially I'm a subscriber to lens, um, mm. tour and plans? We're back in August. Do you think the potential or the future is that I pay Disney for the touring plan? Hmm. You know, I I hate to say this, but but you know, if you look at the history of Disney, I mean, for example, if you look at D twenty three, you know that that was Disney stepping into the space that the National Fantasy Fan Club or, or the Disney and a fan club uh, sat in, you know, that they, they jumped into that space. So could Disney do that? It's, it's possible. Um, I, I will tell you that, you know, knowing 
uh, you know, how diligent the guys, uh, you know, who do the unofficial guide. In fact, it, it, was, it was so funny once that um, I, I don't know if you how how did if you guys know how Disney does its own, um, you know, that determines what the wait time is for its attractions. If you heard of the system where basically they hand uh, a pass that's on a lanyard to somebody who's standing in line. Yeah, and yeah. they let it come all the way through the line, and then they hand it to the the cast member at the front, and they determine, okay, this is how long it took to get here, and so that's the wait time for the attraction. And they update it, and and Lynn was telling me one day, you know, said, but you see, the problem with that system, and Disney's never figured this out, is that's what the wait time was when you handed that pass to somebody. That's not what the wait time is right now. You know, that's, you know, that the conditions could have changed completely behind, you know, whenever that person was handed the lantern and got to the front of the line. And so, you know, so, you know, when you look at what Disney's actual wait time is on the outside, it's this genuinely flawed system that's always wrong. And, you know, so I, I hate to say this, but yeah, if Disney ever does a touring plan plan, I hope they work as hard at getting it right as the Turing plan people do, because they are crazy obsessed with, I mean, for example, uh, I remember Len talking about, they actually went to the Orlando Sentinel and they bought all of the, all of the weather data that that paper had recorded and reported for, I want to say the last 75 to a hundred years. So, that then their statistical model for what the weather would be on any given day at any time of day for Orlando could feed off of that depth of data. And, you know, I that impresses me. The fact that they, they make use of me as one of their experts up at the park. That's the one thing that doesn't impress me. It's, you know, it's, it's like, it's like, really, you know, that that's that I'm the expert. It's like, Oh, you know, you guys really need to do better. So, if if I was if I was at Disney, it was the mm-hmm. last day of my holiday. I'm a family yep. of four. Mm-hmm. I would pay Disney uh, whatever the, the fee would be to do every ride at the Magic Kingdom, or a boys' package or a girls' package at the Magic Kingdom. I would pay. I would say, take my money and give me. So it's it's got to be. Why haven't they bought touring pants? Why haven't they spoke to Len? I I do not know what to tell you there. I do know that they are looking into. I mean, they did a play test. Uh, in fact, I remember seeing footage of this at, at at an event. The notion is, if you've been at Walt Disney World for you know, say, a week long vacation, and you're looking to end on a high note, they invented this day long adventure. I'll I'll give you the bare bones of it. Basically. You know, say you're staying at the uh, the Grand Floridian, and you get a message in your hotel room that someone needs to meet you in the lobby. And you go down to the lobby, and there's this kind of nefarious character there who explains that, you know, well, look, I, 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 you're going to the Magic Kingdom today. Could I ask your help? Um, there's a pirate there that I've been trying to get something from, but he won't deal with me. But, but you're nice people. Perhaps you can persuade him. And so, so you go to Adventureland, and the family walks around. And sure enough, I mean, you wander into a restaurant, and it's not like the guy's out in the open. He's sitting there drinking, 
and you introduce yourselves and it turns out that he's actually the hero of the piece that the, 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 the gentleman you met back at the hotel is actually the villain. And you then go on this day long adventure where it turns out there are other families, other teams in the parks, you know, who are having the same adventure and you have to do things like you stand on shore and wait for the Mark Twain to go by and you, your family holds up letters to pass a message to people who are on the Mark Twain, who then send a message back to you. And then you, you scramble through the park and you search for clues and you, you work with this pirate character. And at the end of the evening, what's really the, the cool part is that you've, you've collected this magic artifact and you then leave the magic kingdom. You get on a boat, you then travel over to the waterfront at Fort wilderness where you, you witness this, 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 you know, this confrontation between your hero and your villain character. The villain character makes the mistake of turning on the icon, and then there's this bank of, of, of fog that sweeps up and, and an explosion, and when the fog clears, he's gone. But you've stood there and watched him disappear. He's been consumed by some sort of Spielberg-like effect. And But it's this a magical adventure that could only happen at a Disney theme park or, or, or within the bounds of the magic kingdom until you, you leave and you literally get in a boat and travel across the, the seven seas lagoon to, to Bay Lake. And, um, that's kind of the stuff they're looking at that, that, you know, if you wanted to have that magical experience and, and be in the parks, but be outside of what the standard guest experience is, that's what they're looking at. I'd, I'd consider that, but I, I think I'd, I'd want to do 10 fast passes. Well, you know, but uh, as circling back on, on what I said about the um, the Halloween Horror Night press experience, I mean, it, it, be careful what you ask for. I mean, part of the thing of doing 10 attractions in rapid, uh, you know, back to back to back to back is... They, you know, it stops being special. It's, you know, it, it, if anything, it's it's like having big handfuls of candy as opposed to, <laughs> you know, savoring something. I mean, I could see, say, it, you know, in fact, one of the things they were talking about in the early, early days of FastPass is like, um, yeah, they wanted to create, you know, this experience where you could book 10 pass, you know, 10, 8 to 10 fast passes per day. Uh, plus, you know, a, a, you know, guaranteed, you know, primo viewing area for the fireworks or a viewing area for the parade. But you were in the park from eight o'clock in the morning till midnight. Cause it was like, and of course you're going to have a dining experience. And of course we're going to give you a, a character experience and you're going to want to pay for those photographs. And I mean, you know, Disney wa- wanted to capture you all day. Uh, you know, and space these experiences, you know, your rides out an hour, hour and a half, two hours, all with the notion that by doing that, you know, A, yes, you're having an amazing Disney theme park experience, but B, you're not leaving and going down the street to check out Harry Potter. So. Hey, Diz After Dark listeners, I want to invite you all to join us over on ScareZone, Halloween Horror Nights podcast. ScareZone is a news, interview, history, and commentary podcast all about Universal's premier Halloween event. It's hosted by fans and experts like me, Logan Seculo, former WWE superstar Scotty Too Hotty, and Diz After Dark's own Chris Ripley. 
Subscribe however you get podcasts and head over to scarezone.com for more information. We here at the show are proud supporters of Diz After Dark. And remember, keep your eyes closed and your ears open on Scarezone. So, I think that's that bit we've uh, talked fully about. Uh, just before we move on, I will introduce you. Amanda's now here. Hi. Hey, hello, Amanda. Hi, Jim. So, moving on, I think uh, the next big thing is is the nighttime spectaculars or or lack of in some places. Um, to start with, obviously, the, the use of drones was very popular over the Christmas period um, with the show at Disney Springs. But also, obviously, there's a lack of nighttime parade now at the Magic Kingdom. And also that Paint the Night's gone down for a, for a major refurb um, without really saying what's going on with it, where it's going, whether it's staying where it is or whether it's moving. And I just thought, wondered if there was anything you could give us on that, Jim. Okay, well, let's start with the well, the Dreamlights, the, um, the drone show that just ended at Disney Springs uh, back on the 8th of, of this month. Um, you know, if you, you heard the actual introduction, you know, that they give to the show, you know, that it's, you know, they kept using language like an important first step, you know, it just did, you know, I, because this really was kind of a proof of concept. Uh, and there's a lot of issues that, that, you know, before we see a full blown, really impressive drone show, um, there's a couple of things. One is the show drones that they have right now have only enough battery power to perform for six minutes, uh, six and a half minutes. And that includes the amount of time it takes for them to launch, to get in position, to begin the show, and then to return to base uh, where they power up. Uh, Other thing that they discovered the hard way is that when these drones perform over water, uh, it can throw off their GPS technology. I, I don't know if you've seen any of the videos of the shows where uh, it's kind of fascinating. You'll see like 95% of the drones forming a bird or a Christmas tree or that sort of thing. And then you'll look off to the side and there'll be a couple of drones that are clearly out of out of place, but are doing the exact same movements. The, you know, they, they're following their programming. They just couldn't lock in on the right position to help make the shape. So um, given that the drones, you know, the long-term plan was that the drones would appear over World Showcase Lagoon in a new updated version of Illuminations, you know, not being able to hold their GPS positioning, uh, that's a problem. Uh, also, you know, the length of time they can fly, also a problem. Um, but that isn't to say that in three to four years down the line, um, they won't have solved that software bug or they won't have invented newer, lighter, you know, uh, or more powerful drones that can, can do, uh, you know, can perform that much longer. Um, yeah, I mean, nighttime wise right now, um, there's a lot of stuff being talked about, but but uh, you have to understand that it's being talked about with an eye toward 2021, which is Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary. And, you know, there, there's kind of an argument in-house about, uh, well, do we do these shows now um, or do we, you know, do we save 
our our big bang for the year you know that of our 50th and in fact for me it's fascinating to watch uh, Main Street Electrical Parade leaving Florida going to Walt Disney uh, excuse me Disneyland uh, where it'll begin performances on the 20th of this month um, if you you honestly talk with the folks uh, about involved with Paint the Night they will flat out tell you that the reason um, that this was done in fact it's kind of an interesting parallel when um, the um, when the the the, the Main Street Electric Parade was introduced in uh, the summer of '72 at, at uh, Disneyland Park, it only ran for two years, and then went down. Uh, was replaced by the American Parade Parade. But one of the reasons it went down is it was basically falling apart. You know, there was so much cutting edge technology stuff that had never been done before. Uh, and this was kind of what happened with paint the night that, that yes, they, there had been a similar version of this parade done for Hong Kong, but Steve Davidson and his, his team had had, you know, gussied it up a bit and it just, the, the costumes were falling apart. The floats were falling apart. They, they needed to take it backstage and redo it and give it some TLC. So this, this, what's going on now is it's really, you know, just bringing the main seat of electrical parade in to give that parade a break for maintenance and and doing simple things like trying to figure out how to take some of the weight out of some of the costumes because there were you know that the, there were cast members who were dancing in that parade who wound up with chiropractic issues because it's just some of the light packs and some of the costume pieces were just so heavy. Yeah. It, Paint the night. I've not. None of us have managed to say it, have we? Um, none of us have been to California since it started. But it just. It, it seems like it is that kind of that kind of parade that is very technical when you watch it. So it's not a surprise that there's there's issues with it. Um, moving on, and I think it's always a big talking point amongst Disney fans and Universal fans. Marvel in the Disney parks. Um, Obviously, we're seeing the movement at California Adventure with Tower of Terror moving over to being Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. Um, I've heard talk of further Marvel expansions at California Adventure. Um, and obviously, the introduction we saw the first real Marvel character in, in Orlando uh, with Doctor Strange making an appearance at the back end of last year. Um, is there any more talk of Marvel moving into other parks and not just California Adventure? And, and what else can we expect from, from California Adventure? Well, don't forget that we, we've also seen in Hong Kong just in the, the, the past week or so, we've seen the, uh, the Iron Man experience open. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you've seen any videos of that. that that's great fun. I mean, mind you, it, it's basically sort of a spiffy, you know, or spiffed up version of, uh, you know, Star Tours, you know, the, the, you know, the motion-based simulator uh, thing, but, but again, married with 3D and, and putting you in the middle of a Marvel battle. Um, that, my understanding is that, you know, we are still in this weird space um, because of the, uh, the, the master to licensing agreement that, uh, Marvel signed with Universal back in 1994. Um, there has been, uh, you know, putting this in sort of an American Soviet terms, it's been a lessening of tensions, largely because 
Universal has realized that when they filled the stores at uh, Marvel Superhero Island at Islands of Adventure with merchandise that's been been created for the the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, um, that stuff sells like hotcakes. So, you know, they're they're perfectly happy to be supportive of you know that. that the characters being in Florida. In fact, uh, just this summer where we see the new, you know, Spider-Man homecoming movie, which, uh, you know, again, produced by Sony, but will feature, you know, uh, for example, Robert Downey Jr. As uh, Tony Stark, uh, you know, this, this kind of a favored nations thing going on here. So, Going forward, that there's more of a nuance thing. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm pretty sure if you walk around Marvel Superhero Island, there is uh, artwork up of Doctor Strange, which in theory should mean that Doctor Strange should not be allowed to be in a Disney park. Um, you know, that, that he, you know, because again, if you you drill down into that deal, each individual character. Um, there's an, an agreement signed for whether or not he can appear in attraction or whether or not he appears on the, you know, the facade of a building or whether or not he f- appears on a, even a menu board, you know, all of that is, is, you know, very specific parts of the agreement. So the fact that, you know, you're kind of in that space where, you know, these characters can be in two parks, because I don't know if you, you saw just recently Disney put out a survey where they were asking about which characters folks would like to be able to interact with at the parks. And, you know, that the, what was kind of interesting about it is they had one part of this online survey, which by the way, was evidently sent out to a lot of folks in the UK, uh, with the parts of the Caribbean characters, uh, of course, Anna, Elsa and the Disney princesses, but they also included the guardians of the galaxy characters and Spider-Man. So the fact that Disney's asking that question suggests that something has changed, especially when it comes to Spider-Man. So I, you know, I just, I guess what I, all we can say at this point is watch this space that that there's something up. And I, I think the fact that everybody's making money off of what Disney's been doing with the Marvel cinematic universe, um, you know, has Universal having a, a somewhat less, you know, a hardball attitude toward this? It's just sort of like, if there's money on the table for all of us, then let's just maybe look the other way. Jim, just what sort of figure can Disney get that all back off Universal? Financial figure. Uh, well, all right. Here's can you quantify the- it? Can you quantify it? Well, here's the problem. Okay. Now you have to remember that when Disney bought Marvel, uh, in 2009, uh, you know, one of the things universal immediately, you know, it's like, wait a minute, you know, we have to, you know, that, that we have to change the deal, change the terms of our deal with universal, uh, or excuse me, a change the terms of our deal with Marvel, because there was language in the deal that said that, um, Marvel, because it, you know, it, it was getting a, a, a chunk of the gate and a chunk of the food and a chunk of admission sales. It had access to all sorts of internal information for universal, you know, like the day-to-day attendance at the parks, um, uh, 
stuff that Disney would dearly love to have. And, you know, so during the, the actual, you know, sort of, um, after the announcement and the, the, the finalizing of the deal, they, there was this basically siloing of information that, you know, Disney could not have that info. And so that's what kind of makes quantifying uh, problematic because the, 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 so much of this info is literally black boxed. Um, you know, that I've, I've had folks at Universal speak in loose terms about this. Uh, but even they, you know, just cautioned that, you know, just, you know, people are so freaked out about the fact that there's a Disney owned property inside of a Marv or a universal theme park that everybody is, you know, it's, it's double secret probation time that just it, it, everybody's like that, that, that info is off limits. Oh, maybe. Sorry about that. Guys. Yeah. So. Who's next? I'll go next. So, what do you think is in store for the Muppets in the coming years in the parks? Because we've had news recently about the Kermit Bloom being taken away, but then we've got the Muppets having a more of a presence in Epcot. And then we talked a little bit last week about how, you know, kids, kids now aren't as into the Muppets as what maybe like I was or Craig or Paul was when we were younger do you think the Muppets still have a place in the park especially with Pizza Rizzo just opening well okay a couple of things Uh, remember uh, Disney announced last fall thereabouts you've got a revival of the Muppet Babies television show coming on Disney Junior and that's going to be about that last week too yeah, that's going to be pushed out to the 34 different Disney channels around the world. So, honestly, Disney has not given up on the Muppets. If anything, you know, I in fact, there's a number of people at ABC who, forgive the adult language, are very pissed that, um, you know, that, that, that the new head of um, ABC programming, that's a woman who's worked with Shonda Rhimes, the woman who did Scandal and Grey's Anatomy and How to Get Away with Murder and all that. Um, she basically shut down the Muppets because Shonda had created a show that was supposed to uh, pick up where Romeo and Julia left off. In a, or excuse me, Romeo and Juliet, not Romeo and Julio. Now, that would be interesting. Um but no, that, that 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 was supposed to debut this season on ABC. It turns out it's way behind schedule. It won't make it to 2018 or the 2017, 2018 season. So basically the Muppets were killed for no reason at all. Um, in fact, right up until the afternoon that it was announced that they were canceled, the bet in-house was, well, of course, we're going to pick it up for a second season. I mean, they're in the parks and, you know, Disney consumer products is all this stuff put together. But this woman, you know, shut this show down to make room for this additional hour long drama, which then didn't wasn't produced in time to make it for the 2016, 2017 season. So. Um, talking with the folks on the Muppet side of the fence, there are definitely other Muppet projects in the works. And in fact, what's kind of interesting is there's, there's stuff in the works for ABC, but they're also having conversations with like Netflix. Um, in fact, that's another argument in house that, that basically if they had been smart enough to do the new Muppet show strictly for Netflix, so it went 
it was a piece of straight tube to every Muppet planet on the, a fan on the planet. They'd not only have produced series two by now, but that they did have already green, green lit the third season. Um, Okay, so looking at but in now looking at what they just did for Pizza Rizzo, I know a lot of folks are kind of, you know, it's well, it's kind of, uh, you know, it, it's not terribly muppety, but the hard reality is that restaurant was built that way uh, because when Star Wars Experience opens and people find that they can't get into the two highly themed star Wars restaurants. Um, they're going to be looking for place to eat in the immediate vicinity. And, and Rizzo's literally going to be right down the street. Um, you know, it, it's and in fact, from, it was actually Seth Kaberski of the Orlando weekly who pointed this out, but you know, people don't pick up on the fact that they basically doubled the size of the kitchen. So they anticipate that they, you know, they're going to need that extra, you know, capacity, to, to feed all those hungry Star Wars fans who, who aren't able to eat in the, you know, this port city out on the rim. Uh, it's kind of sort of like what they did with Tiffin's uh, at Disney's Animal Kingdom. I mean, here's this wonderful restaurant that isn't doing nearly the business it should right now because, of course, uh, Pandora, the world of Avatar, isn't open. But once that opens, you know, that restaurant's just going to get slammed. Um, but yeah, I anticipate on the back of uh, Muppet Babies, uh, which they're, I mean, Disney Junior kind of, is going to push with all of its might. Uh, I don't know if you'll see the Muppets back necessarily on the movie screen anytime soon, but anticipate uh, television uh, in the parks. Um you know, I guess a lot will depend on on how the baby show does. I know that that Parks is already sort of looking at, uh, you know, could they do something similar to say, uh, the you know the 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 Liberty Square show. You know, could you know would people say gather down? Uh, you know, back where the Phineas and Ferb thing was the meet and greet in you know the Muppets area. And, you know, say, have the Muppet Baby characters lean out the window and, you know, do a show for you there. Um, you know, that's uh, the, the Liberty Square show has been ridiculously successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, having talked with the folks who put that together, they'd love to circle back and do some other, you know, other shows or even create a seasonal version of those shows. So, um, so again, you know, that it's they have their fans in the, the company, but but. You know, the other hard reality here is that, you know, they're not necessarily at the top of the list. I mean, you know, the, Disney is obviously prioritizing bringing Star Wars to the parks. And, and we just talked about what they're trying to do with the Marvel characters. And let's not forget, you've got, you know, Incredibles 2 making through the through the pipeline and, you know, Cars 3, which will yeah. be out in theaters in less than six months. You know, there's there's a lot of already established franchises that frankly are ahead of Kermit and Fozzie and Piggy on the list. Yeah. I mean, I feel like even if they just gave Muppet Vision a little bit of a refresh and maybe they linked in things from the films in it instead, like the, the, the more recent films, I feel like yeah. that would get more of a, a younger audience wanting to go to it. I agree. I agree. But here, you know, here's actually one of the big problems. Muppet Vision 3D is is 
basically, well, I mean, there, there was a television special called The Muppets Go to Walt Disney World, which you, you can watch on, uh, catch on YouTube these days. But Muppet Vision was the second to the last Muppet project that Jim Henson ever worked on. And for a lot of folks, the company who actually worked with Jim on this, it, it borders on sacrilege to... Yeah to touch that. And, and what's kind of funny is that in, in, in years previous, there's actually been some talk, for example, of doing a cut down version of a Muppet Christmas Carol, it, 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 taking it out and having it dimensionalized. So oh, it could play the 3d format, but it just, I guess they tried to get it down to a 12 to 15 minute running time. And it just, it got kind of incoherent um so no the, the, there have been conversations about could we do a new film i mean but it, uh, uh, let me be blunt here one of the other reasons they would have been talking about doing a new film is in much the same way as they took uh you know oh canada in you know the the circle vision film and, and changed that out they went from a what is it a 15 minute version to an 11 minute version mm-hmm. uh, they were looking to do the same thing that, that if we did a new Muppet show could we make it shorter so we could get more people through that theater per hour and um, you know it, it's I don't know as somebody you know who kind of I don't get me wrong I, I think Eric Jacobson does wonderful work as Miss Piggy but I kind of missed Frank Oz's take on it which is you know, and but we're we're kind of in that space now. We're losing a lot of the people who work with Jim, who originally voiced these characters, and mm-hmm. um, you know, so you know, you know, I, I think you know it was Family Guy that did the great joke about you know this is what happens when when things go wrong. You you get bad sounding Muppets. So. <laughs> but. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like anything at this point would would just be a help to get more of a presence of them in the park. And like, I I have heard really good things about the Magic Kingdom show, and I was surprised when I saw um, them coming out in Epcot. Mm-hmm. And that's why yeah. I was even more surprised to see the curve at Balloon going. But I understand that you'd see that from Star Wars Land, so it wouldn't make any sense to keep it. Yeah, you know, just in fact, I guess there, there was. You know, I get a couple of Imagineers who, you know, I, you know, they, but it's been death by a thousand cuts. I mean, people forget that it was only three or four years ago that, you know, when they repainted the balloon and took Jim Henson's name off of it, you know, because, the, you know, it, again, they, the, the, and in fact, it's kind of interesting because the, the Henson company today, even today when they're, they're out promoting things. People will ask them about the Muppets and they have to flat out say, we don't own the Muppets anymore. They belong to, you know, um, you know, the Walt Disney Company. I mean, we're the ones who are doing Sid the Science Kid or Dinosaur Train. But but if you're talking Kermit, Piggy and Fozzie, that's Disney. Yeah. Uh, so that's you know why they took Jim's name off of the balloon. But um, there, I guess there were some jokes within uh imagineering that you know once could we paint it to look like the death star <laughs> you know you know it's just sort of but just you know, paint just, one side of it i'll be fine yeah and it's just sort of like no it comes down guys so no. i feel like it's going to be really sad walking into that area and not seeing it yeah i know and uh, but again you know that's 
you're going to remember that that even back when Walt was running it, you know, he made a point of stressing that these places are not museums. You know, in fact, you know, uh, if you look at the lineup of attractions that Disneyland had from 55, you know, July of 55 when it opened to December of 66 when we lost Walt, I mean, he changed that park all the time. You know, he he was always looking to to, you know, give people who came to the park new experiences. So the fact that if you think about it, you know, Muppet Vision opened in, what is it, May of 1990, mm-hmm. and this is 2017. You know, yeah. So it's over 25 years of basically looking the same and being the same movie. Um, you know, that, that kind of runs counter to the way they, who, the guy who set this place up would have run it. So Exactly. Well, I mean, on that point, like we've seen an awful lot of changes in the parks in the last five years. Like we've had New Fantasyland, we've had half of Hollywood Studios taken out. What? How do you see the park in the next five years? What do you think is going to be different other than Avatar? Well, you um, know, I mean, Bob Chapek, the uh, current head of Parks and Resorts, has been pretty open about um what he wants to do to epcot i mean he he wants it to be um relevant he wants it to be more family friendly which means more ip i mean he's you know that we're gonna see that park um i think he, you know you're going to start to see a, an aggressive five-year program at that park kick in in the yeah. next year or so <laughs> Um, you know, and we'd mentioned, I don't think you'd, you had been on the podcast at that point, but there is a long-term plan for animal kingdom to also bring in, uh, Zootopia right. in some form, replacing, uh, Rafiki's planet watch. And again, my apologies. Um, you know, and it's kind of funny on the heels of, uh, rivers of light. Finally, it looks like getting out of the gate, but. Um, given the, the somewhat, you know, lackadaisical reaction to that, um, and the fact that Moana is so popular and features characters on boats, um, you know, that, that I guess we shouldn't be all that surprised if a couple of years down the line, this very animal friendly, you know, show kind of fades, uh, and is replaced by something like Moana, but, um, and, and but but that's that's just the way the modern Disney company operates. That they, when you're going to the board of directors and you're asking for tens or sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars to build new rides, attractions, or lands, uh, it's so much easier to get the funding if you can pull the research and say it's built around this IP, and I can tell you how much plush we sold last year. That based on those characters and how well the DVD sold and, you know, uh, you know, that that's how these characters trend, you know, um, and that's kind of the world we live in. So I don't know is we're going to see a lot of brand new, you know, previously unseen things, uh, going into the parks. I, I know for a fact, a lot of the stuff that's going into to Epcot, uh, in the next five years is, you know, character driven. And, and a lot of that is on the back of how well frozen ever after has done, you know, that, that how that has changed, um, 
who goes to that park and when? I mean, there's a lot of little girls who get up first thing in the morning and just jump on their parents. And it's like, we are going to Epcot. I need to see Anna and Elsa. And they do it. Exactly. And Frozen, like, Frozen is a very good ride. I Like, I will admit that I was disappointed when mm. they announced that Maelstrom was going to close and they were going to replace it with Frozen. And I was like, oh, no, what are Epcot doing? It's a bad idea. And then... As soon as I got to the Norway Pavilion in September, I was like, okay, I totally agree with everything that Epcot's doing. If they want to put an IP in every single country, I agree with it because they've done such a good job. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that because, you know, between uh, right now, it looks like the Ratatouille ride that was created for Disneyland Paris uh, will be built right next door to the France pavilion. They'll just sort of extend the land between it. There's a, an expansion pad right between Morocco and France that Mm -hmm. if you, you go backstage behind that little berm there, that's actually where all of the food uh, kiosks for food and wine and, and, you know, uh, to a lesser extent, flower and garden uh, are kept when they're not out front. You know, they, they just park them out there. But that's supposedly where the Ratatouille building would be built. And my understanding is based on how Coco does this fall. That's the uh, the Pixar film that will be coming out in November that's based around Day of the Dead. Uh-huh. Um, what they'd be looking to do is if you look right next door to... Uh, the Mexico Pavilion, you notice you've got the Odyssey restaurant, which has basically yeah. stood empty. I mean, they, they open it every now and then for uh, seminars or special events or that sort of thing. But it's it stood empty. And it's like the thinking is bump the border out from Mexico and go in that direction, uh, though there is a, a, a cheaper version of this ride that could just go in and replace uh, the three Caballeros, which of course is a redo of the old river of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, that kind of depends on how Coco does it at the box office this fall. I feel like I, I would really enjoy a ride based around that. I mean, I always do kind of hope that they'll bring the Odyssey restaurant back to how it was in the nineties where they have like the, the show with like Mickey and Donald and everybody but if yeah. they were going to expand it to make a ride there, I'd be happy with that. Yeah. And of course, you know, there's the Guardians thing that's, that's you know, going to, uh, you know, Universe of Energy is basically going to go away. And it, with a weird energy overlay, we're going to get sort of a Guardians themed experience <laughs> down there. But, um, but again, this is all about. Uh, trying to create and get trying to make this park uh, a park that you you really do want to go to I mean, you know i mean disney's own survey suggests that for a lot of people epcot is the park they go to in the late afternoon because a they're looking to get dinner and b you know they want to hang out and see illuminations i and, agree with that epcot is my favorite disney park mm-hmm. but i won't go in the morning just because I know that there's so many people all wanting to ride Test Track and Sora and it gets very, very crowded. So I do mm-hmm. tend to go later in the afternoon, but I would much rather go there than any other Disney park. Yeah. And so if they're going to fill it with more things for people to do, that'll eat up a little bit of the crowd. It's just going to get better. 
Well, and, and speaking of which, though, uh, I, I I don't know if you've been hearing about this Mary Poppins Returns that's about to begin production. Um, but uh, you know, the, this is a live action film. Will be out for Christmas of 2018, and I guess they're already having discussions about doing something of size built around that film for the UK pavilion. That would be amazing. Yeah, I hope so. You know, that that's I'm I'm not entirely, you know, in, in, enthusiastic about that, or at least I wasn't when they first announced it. But they've done a couple of things that are very smart gestures. Like, I don't know if you've heard, but Dick Van Dyke's actually going to make an appearance in this thing. Right. Um, yeah, he's actually supposedly he's going to be playing the son of the old banker from oh. the first first film so they're going to put him in old age of course now they're not going to have to use quite so much old age music <laughs> no. uh, also Angela Lansbury is going to be in it and wow. you know but this and evidently they're actually having conversations with Julie Andrews uh, you know about whether or not she'd be willing to appear in it and I think one of the ideas they floated is having her play the bird woman you know that that you know um so it's it's going to be interesting, but it's it's going to be a really big deal for Disney, and they're going to want to really walk this out into the parks and and if it if it succeeds, you really don't be surprised to see a huge presence for for this character and 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 from this film at the UK at uh, Epcot. And that would be great. I always feel like the UK Pavilion needs something. Because I know that they have the bands that play is in the night, and yep. they do have Mary Poppins out and about every now and again. But I always feel like it just needs something more. Well, you pop. know, if you actually go back to the original plans for, you know, you have to understand everything you see now is phase one. That if you actually walk back to that garden area where they have the band play. Mm-hmm. And get you know, a sort of look off to the right, and it's like there's this kind of empty space. Yeah, that was where they were supposed to build this combination Crystal Palace um, English Music Hall, and you know they they literally you were going to be able to go in there and see a classic English Music Hall show, and you know that and they would change it out, you know, for the various time of year, so you could get, for example. You know, when it came time for the holidays, you'd get a holiday pantomime. So, you know, they do Aladdin or something in there. Oh. Uh, and it just, but again, this this was the plan, you know, in 1982. And, and then, of course, Disney management changed in October of 1984. And so many of these ideas they never circled back on. Um, there was a time, interestingly enough, though, that be, before they built that, the world show place thing, that giant tent thing that's out behind or between Canada and Epcot. Uh-huh. Um, they were supposed to do basically a magical park that, you know, it, it, you'd come up to, you know, something. In fact, it, it was sort of, you know, the outside of it was kind of modeled on the park you saw from Mary Poppins. And you wandered through the space. And what was supposed to happen was that it was going to be the ultimate Disney meet and greet. But the the gimmick was that inside this beautiful little British park, 
you know, you'd come around a corner and here's Alice and the white rabbit from Alice in Wonderland. And you go around another corner and here's Peter Pan and Wendy. And you go around another corner and, you know, here's the characters from Robin Hood. And, you know, you go around another corner and finally here's Bert and Mary. And it was all of, you know, they, and I think you actually exited through the Hundred Acre Woods with Winnie the Pooh. But it was the, the, the gimmick of it was all of these characters that are based on pieces of great British literature were all in one place and you could have this massive meet and greet, you know, in this, this beautiful English park. That would be lovely. It would have been lovely. You know, and I, 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 I remember seeing the site plan back in the day and it's like, wow, that's killer. And it's like, you're going to do that. It's like, nope, we're going to build a giant <laughs> tent that we could rent out to corporations and make money off of. And, oh no. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of you know, how a lot of the Disney stories end these days. So. Oh. So, so on that note, I think we've taken enough of your time, Jim. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's been absolutely fantastic. Craig and Amanda, thank you for joining me. Um, and on that note, we'll be back uh, probably in a week or two, I would imagine. Thank you very much and good night. Bye. Right. Uh, and so for our other sponsor of the show, um, we have Wendy Pratter at Magical Journeys Travel. Don't yeah, we do. Yeah. The the very beautiful looking Wendy Pratter. Is she, is she on your um, to-do list? Like, if you meet her in real life, you're allowed to. She's, um, you know, when you open the wallet. Yeah. She, she's the picture in my wallet. I get you. I get you. But other than our lust uh, for Wendy, um, her and her magical journeys are there to help you plan your next Disney vacation. So whether that's a Disney cruise or a trip to Disney World, Wendy can help you by getting your reservations at midnight getting those all-important Be Our Guest dining reservations or meet and greets with Anna and Elsa. And uh, I think, if you quote this podcast, Craig, get a bit of a discount on your uh, deposit, don't you? Yeah, yeah, $25 off, yeah. There you go. So, next time you want to book a holiday, give Wendy at Magical Journey Travels a little tinkle at WPMagicJourneys.com or on Twitter at WPMagicJourneys. God bless Wendy and all that sail in it. Sorry I'm late guys, uh, got stuck in traffic and had to make a bit of a, a dash for it. Uh, Jim, I just wanted to uh, ask you a question. Uh, Jim? Uh, Paul? Craig? Amanda? Oh, but... is part of the After Dark Podcast This podcast is part of the After Dark Podcast